Welcome to New Kids on the Block, a podcast for newcomers who want to explore blockchains and cryptocurrencies. On this show, we discuss and dissect all things crypto for beginners and intermediate users and help them navigate their way through this fascinating yet overwhelming new space. Let's dive right in. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to the inaugural uh, New Kids on the Block, which is uh, such an awesome name, if I must say so myself, podcast. I am uh, Fody Philochorus, uh, one of your co-hosts today, um, and I'm joined by my partner in crime, uh, not not legal crime, but kind of just friendly crime. Of course, uh, you, yeah, you do. Hey, you do. How you doing, man? What's up, man? Thanks for for having me, and glad to um, to be part of this exciting journey with you. Yeah, yeah, it should be fun. I mean, we can we, we're gonna we're gonna get into a lot of stuff. I guess um, just before we do, uh, might be worthwhile to kind of just uh, I guess give our give our credentials. So. Uh, as uh, as the non layman here, I would say maybe maybe uh, it'd be good for you to kind of just uh, briefly introduce yourself to the audience. Yeah, absolutely. So I got into crypto uh, back in 2017. Uh, I was working in a consulting firm, and uh, I just I was just reading about it on, on the on the internet like everyone else did, and uh, I had heard about Bitcoin uh, way back in 2014, maybe or earlier. And my professor was talking about it in one of my MBA classes. And back then, I was like, Bitcoin, what is that? <laughs> and she was telling us that how, you know, she bought her first Bitcoin at $400. And I was like, why does this thing cost so much money? You know, it's just a, right. a, some magic internet money. It sounds really weird. So I didn't pay any attention to that uh, up until when I heard about it again uh, later on. Uh, in 2017, and that's when we actually started. Uh, I actually started to to pay more attention, and I bought my first Bitcoin and uh, some other shit coins, as we call them. <laughs> so right. yeah, it never the rest of this is, is history. You know, I spent way so much time on it, and I've been just going down the proverbial rabbit hole ever since then. And I, you know, as they all say, you know, you came for the prize and stay for the technology. And right, that's exactly what happened to me. So you so, took the red pill, basically. Ever since, yeah, I think they call it the orange pill in Bitcoin. The orange pill, okay. The logo is orange. So. <laughs> yeah. See, I'm learning things already. This is this is uh, this is go. great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, about you, buddy? yeah, yeah. So, I mean, my background is in uh, information technology. So I've been working in. Um, you know, software engineering, information technology space, basically my whole career uh, with a, with an emphasis in, in uh, financial services and banking, right? So um, I have a, a pretty good background and knowledge on finance, on distributed uh, technology, data infrastructure. And, um, you know, I'm a, a personal investor myself. I do, um, you know, a lot of uh, real estate investment and stuff like that. And I too got into um, the crypto kind of uh, foray, I guess you can say, back in 2017. Mm -hmm. Uh, The difference was uh, I understood nothing. I still understand pretty much close to nothing. Um, But I was kind of what you would call a retail investor, right? Like someone just Mm -hmm. worried, you know, the fear of missing out, right? Just trying to get into 
uh, get into that and 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 talk of you know and and you know chase the chase the gold the gold rush if you will. So yeah. this is uh, you know uh, you know hopefully some of the listeners that are, you know that are that are listening in and want to know more about about crypto and the various topics that we discuss are, are gonna you know learn uh, just as much hopefully that you know that I'll learn here. So uh, you yeah. Know, no pressure there, you you know, uh, to educate <laughs> <Absolutely>. the masses. <laughs> Absolutely, I, I think that's sometimes I wish I had a a time machine where I can wind back the time back to twenty sixteen or fourteen, and you know when I literally just heard about Bitcoin the first time. I had only bought it or participated. You know, we wouldn't be sitting here right now. Yeah. So, so let let me ask you like a couple of questions. I mean, like, like, let's dig into this because a a lot of people that operate in this kind of investment realm and, you know, if you try and get any information on it nowadays, I mean, it's, it's, it's like talking another language, right. For a lot of folks. So Mm -hmm. like the, the first thing that people hear a lot about um, is, you know, this, this notion of blockchain, right. And like the underlying technology. And I I guess I'll just ask you like, you know, from the technological perspective, I mean, what's so revolutionary about blockchain? Um, and, and why is it, you know, such a critical piece and component in, in the, in the crypto realm? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that's the very first question many, when many people ask when they first got into crypto is like, what's, crypto what's what's blockchain right to me the main thing uh the main difference between blockchain versus a traditional uh, you mentioned distributed ledger technology is that it's fully decentralized right the, the decentralization trait of blockchain is what makes it different from a traditional um dmt within a federated system for example so and, yeah, just just to, just to touch on that like when you say it's decentralized, what exactly does that mean? I guess for for yeah. for the average folk. Let's take Bitcoin for example. So Bitcoin was initially uh, a, just a set of computer program initiated by this pseudonymous person called uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, and basically he was or she was the person who set up this computer open source program and then just let it run on the internet. Right? It doesn't require any anybody to be a part of a member of a company it doesn't require anyone to pay for anything it's free the only requirement is as long as you have internet as long as you have a computer you can download the source code for bitcoin and then just start running a node on your computer so the decentralization idea is that anybody can participate as long as you have access to the internet Right, and even if you don't nowadays, they actually have a. Um, I think Blocks Blockstream is the the company that actually produces a satellite um, signal that mm. just broad, broadcasts the the network into areas where there's no internet access. So technically, even if you don't have internet, you still can participate in the Bitcoin network. And to me, that's what's so key about the decentralization piece. Is that you know? There's no discrimination. There's no barrier. There's no low threshold in terms of participating in the network. So, like me coming from like a finance background, I mean, my understanding of traditional types of payment systems is that you know, whether it be a clearinghouse or it be like a P2P type of you know peer-to-peer type of um, you know network between between a bank. Um, you know, or, or participating uh, exchange parties is that 
there is essentially a person in the middle. So, so what you're saying effectively is that there is, you know, when we talk about blockchain effectively, no one that sits in the middle, there's effect, there's effectively, uh, well, I shouldn't say no one. I should say there's a lot of people, right? right. That sit there. You just don't know who they are. Is that accurate? I think that's fair. I think the only thing I'll mention is that these people you're talking about who are sitting in the middle, they're not acting as intermediaries. They're just people who are checking the ledger, if you will, right? They're they're validating the transactions to make sure everything checks out. Mm-hmm. Nothing is being quote unquote double spent. So whatever coins you have in your, your wallet is being transferred securely to another person's wallet. So that peer-to-peer transfer between two different parties is what make is what makes um, blockchain unique because everything is, is being validated and secured by hundreds of thousands of nodes or computers on the internet so that, that's another key trade of of bitcoin is that or big blockchain for sure is that um, the transparency piece right you might have heard about things that oh somebody just got hacked or some hacker just used bitcoin to to do some illegal stuff right so, but the ir- irony is that Bitcoin is the most transparency network in the world in the sense that every single transaction that took place on the Bitcoin network can be tracked. And there's mm. no way to, to reverse or delete anything. Whatever, whatever transaction you have made on the network will be remain there forever. Got it. Okay. So I guess that, you know, the, the, the next question that I would have in, in regards to that is like, you know, cause I work in distributed systems, right. And mm-hmm. I understand like this notion of consensus, right. And consensus is like, you know, you need to get, you know, a, a predominant, if you, if you're working, let's say you have 10 different computers, right. You need like a, a, yeah. a majority to agree on something or, or else, you know, that, that thing doesn't happen. Right. For, yeah. you know, in, a, in a really purest, basic example. So are there like examples where, you know, things will go on the blockchain and they, you know, different participating auditors of that or, or, or um, you know, these these different parties that that kind of are, are these nodes that you mentioned before where they mm-hmm. where they don't agree. Like, are there are there chances that a transaction won't go through for for some reason or another? Yeah, yeah, it could happen. Um, I think what I'll say to that is there's this concept of a 51% attack. The idea of a 51% attack is that when certain nodes or participants are acting maliciously together, uh, there's a possibility of a uh, 51% attack, which means like the majority of the the nodes w- would be acting together to either maliciously um, letting a, a double spend transaction go through or or in other ways trying to sabotage the, the network. So there's okay. always a possibility in that. However, what I'll say to that is, is the risk of a 51% attack has reduced tremendously over the years and, and it's going to continue to reduce as the, the block gets longer and longer, right? Because effectively, if you think about it, the ledger just gets longer and longer as more blocks are being produced. So right. every 10 minutes, Bitcoin produces a new block uh, and that, that's going to keep going on and on until, until you know, a very long time. So the machines take over, right? The machines take yeah. over, right? right. No, in order right. to reverse that, it's going to be harder and harder. I think somebody did some sort of calculation to say in order to launch a 51% attack, uh, you will need like tens of billions of dollars. Basically, 
like some sort of nation state power. Uh, let's say Ch- if China wants to attack the Bitcoin network, that's the only <laughs> possible solution that right now in order to for that to happen. China, China is always uh, is always uh, you know uh, a risk, I guess, when when we're thinking about that. But um, before we get into the weeds too much, I guess, like you know, for for the average Joe like myself, like why should why should we care about Bitcoin? I mean, what like you know, I, I know it's been around for probably a couple decades now, and you know, I guess over the course of the past year with the pandemic and everything, you know, that's it, I mean, the price has spiked which means the interest has spiked again, right? Mm-hmm. In it, uh, there was a lull for, for a couple of years, you know, since 2017. I mean, I'll be honest, I haven't checked my wallets probably since then. Uh, until probably a good period. idea. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I haven't reacted uh, to, to any of the kind of the, the micro uh, aspects of it. But like yeah. from a macroeconomic perspective, I mean, you know, why, why, should, why should anyone care about this? That's a great question. So I think I'll give you my thesis on that. In my opinion, if you think about what has happened in the past 24 months uh, with COVID and how the entire global economy has effectively shrunk significantly and how the, um, the supply chain has tightened and things are getting more and more expensive, right? Like I go to the grocery store these days, I look at the price and I compare that to what I pay like two years ago price has gone up significantly. So that came as a result of how basically our economy has been impacted by the way the federal government has been printing money. And uh, so, you know, like the stock stock market has been going up uh, for quite a while now. The Federal Reserve uh, just keeps printing money and inflating their debt way, basically, in order yeah, and, to... And, like the thing about that is that they print all this money, but, uh, you know, they, like they can never throw throw me a bone or two. You know, I'm just, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't, that's I don't the thing. Well, except from the st- stimulus checks, which is like right. dropping the bucket if you think about it. Yeah. But the point, the point being that the, the macroeconomic status is not helping us to be able to control the inflation. And in order to find a hedge against inflation, Bitcoin is a very good store of value because there's only going to be 21 million Bitcoins mined ever. You can never inflate a Bitcoin like it's it, there was always going to be so much and so many of bitcoins and that's why when you have the increasing demand of, of bitcoin uh the price goes up right? would it would it be fair to like equate like bitcoin to like digital gold like it's you know it's it's the offset to to, to fiat sure. currency is that sure. yeah i think like i know a lot of people like saying that it's bitcoin is the digital gold uh, I, I just think it's a meme, to be honest, uh, just because, you know, like, I think gold is not even that good, to be honest, because um, it's it's not really easy to transact, right? It's, it's a physical, you have to, like, it's heavy, and you don't really see any people, like, going around and transacting in gold. However, right. we, we live in the U.S., so buy bullets instead is what you're saying, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, that would work. Yeah, if that's your store value, why not? Uh, Bitcoin, on the other hand, gives you the ability to transact like peer to peer, like to anybody in the world. Literally, like I can, if somebody in, let's say, Zimbabwe uh, has a Bitcoin address today, I can literally, literally send my Bitcoin to them uh, via a a secure network, peer to peer, without any friction, without without with very little fees. You know, assuming you're using like a Lightning Network, for example. So. 
the yeah. question I would have then is do do you have to worry about like currency exchanges and stuff like that when it comes to Bitcoin? Is that like a thing that's no. like okay? No, I think I think that's that's the beauty of it, right? So basically, if and we're going to talk about this later on, like how do you self custody your coins? Like assuming you have your own wallet, you have your own coins, you can basically take control of your own finances, right? We don't, we no longer need a bank to tell us when we can or cannot exchange or withdraw our own funds. We can send our own money to anybody in the world anytime we want at a very low fee. Mm. That's, that's fascinating. So like, let's, let's, um, let's switch gears a little bit. I mean, a little bit earlier in the conversation, you mentioned a name, um, Satoshi Nakamoto. Um, and I'm at least based on my research, what I figured out is that it's not like a, like a Nintendo character or anything <laughs> like that. Um, but you mentioned something very interesting, which is like he or her. So like, who is this infamous Satoshi Nakamoto and like, why are they important? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. The, the, the answer is nobody knows who he, who they are. Uh, it could be a, a, a person. It could be a group of folks who just decided to, to roll these, these amazing computer programs and then have them live on the internet. So Satoshi Nakamoto has been disappeared for a very long time by now. They uh, started communicating with a bunch of computer um, scientists uh, early in uh, 2010 and they were able to give them the idea that, you know, they're going to release this new computer program called Bitcoin. And then that caught on from there. So nobody really found out who Satoshi is. Uh, like I said, it could be a, a professor, computer professor. It could be somebody who just, you know, is just computer genius or a mathematician. Um, there has been a lot of guests on who they are. Like people say maybe Elon Musk is Satoshi. Mm. I don't personally subscribe to that because I think he, he smokes too much weed to, to be stuck. Right. Why would he try and get to the moon, right? If, if, exactly. If this guy's yeah. building this stuff. Yeah. Exactly. I see. So, and the, the fascinating thing about Satoshi is that um, he, you know, obviously he was the, the first person who mined Bitcoin. So he had a bunch of coins uh, in his wallet and those coins had never moved, right? So, which means like there's like a, almost like a, a billion more than a billion's worth of Bitcoin in his wallet by this point, but he never moved them. And he's been, he's disappeared, uh, I think like seven or eight years ago. So, you know, is he alive? Is he, is he still, is he still with us? Who knows? Right. It's yeah, just we, so many mysteries around this personality. We can turn this into a murder mystery podcast. Oh, uh, absolutely. Guess, you know, yeah. talking about Satoshi that, that, that might be a good idea for a future, uh, a, fu- a future <laughs> episode. <laughs> So like, I mean, and you know, this is, this is a kind of a, a, a cryptocurrency podcast. We've been talking a lot about Bitcoin and yeah. I guess that, that leads itself to the question of like, what kind of like, what makes Bitcoin itself so unique? Like what's, what's the, tr- you know, if there are any special, you know, significance behind Bitcoin and why is it kind of viewed as the gold standard when it comes to cryptocurrency? What makes Bitcoin unique, uh, first of all, is that it was the very first um, currency, digital currency that was created. However, it was the very first cryptocurrency that was created and then validated and then perpetuated over over the strength of time. Right? It's been around uh, for more than 10 years now, and um, there has never been any sort of major bugs or any 
um, issues with the network. Uh, I mentioned earlier um, a block was being created every 10 minutes on the on the blockchain net, I mean on the Bitcoin network, and it has been continued going that for more than 10 years. So that's what makes it persistent and very mm-hmm. uh, strong and you know just you can't break the network. That's the main thing, right? And the second ball is that um, the, the fact that it's being the very first being created means that it has the first mover advantage. And I know we have a lot of other coins we can cover on this podcast, but um, the fact that it was the very first being used as a store of value makes it very valuable, right? So right now, not only the um, retail investors are investing in Bitcoin, but also institutions are starting to come in um, into the space. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can definitely see a lot of, uh, even when it comes to, you know, your vanguards out there and asset managers, I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's crypto ETFs and, and stuff like that, that that's out there nowadays. There's yeah. funds. Uh, so yeah. there's certainly institutional money, uh, which is, is we have very ETFs. Yeah. We have ETFs in, uh, already available in Canada. Uh, they, I think they just approved it recently. Uh, you, usually, the U.S. follows Canada, so you wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see ETFs approved in the U.S. at the end of this year. Uh, revolutionary neighbors to the north. You got to uh, absolutely. You got you to love it. Um, got to love the Canadians. <laughs> well, I do love poutine, so we, you know they, they get a lot of credit in the bank for me for for that. Bitcoin so. and poutine. Bitcoin and poutine. We should rename the podcast. That's a fantastic name. So. <laughs> Um, like when I first started, I, I guess this will be like a little anecdote part. I guess, you know, back when Bitcoin started making waves for me, I was still just a tyke in, in college. And, you know, it was it was a mechanism to buy like, you know, a, a poisonous toad from Bolivia or something like that at the time. <laughs> like it was a it was a, it was a good mechanism to do not so great things online. Not saying that I ever used it for that because I'm I'm, okay. a, I'm I'm late to the game when it comes to that kind of stuff. But like, I mean, what are some of the controversies that we see surrounding Bitcoin? I mean, what are, you know, what's, I guess I would ask what are the main use cases for it and and how is it being used for evil? (laughs) (laughs) I won't judge you for that, Fody. Don't worry. Okay. Um, So basically my, my view on this is yes, there are, Early in the days, that there were some use cases where where people are using Bitcoin to buy um, illicit drugs or, or other you know dark internet stuff, and I think all of that happened on on, on Silk Road, which is one of the largest uh, dark markets uh, back in the days. Uh, but my my viewpoint on, on that is every technology, like new technology, will attract the most fringe use cases at the beginning. If you think about how internet evolved, right? When back when internet came out, um, there were a lot of terrible use cases for it, right? And but over time, people understand the the benefits of certain technology will outweigh the fringe uh, unlawful use cases that was it was supporting, and I think that applies to Bitcoin as well. Um, I think over time we realized that oh sure yeah you, if you're talking about money laundering or or buying illicit drugs. Etc. Cash should be the largest offender of all time, right? Like cash is being the U.S. dollars being was being used to launder money all over the world, right? Nobody talks about that, right? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, there there's been some good movies about it. I'll say oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, I mean, so what you would say, I guess, just in summary, there is that Bitcoin is being leveraged, I guess, purely as a as a payment mechanism, right? Like, it's in the name, it's a coin, it's a type of currency, right? It's a type of digital currency, and that's yeah. the main use case. Um, and nowadays, we're more and more. I guess vendors and and organizations out there are accepting it, right? There are ATMs nowadays where you can go and withdraw actual fiat currency by transferring money uh, via Bitcoin. So it's becoming more ubiquitous in, in that sense. Is what you're saying? So if you were following the news, that the the biggest news about Bitcoin recently is in El Salvador, where they have made Bitcoin a legal tender uh, in addition to the U.S. dollars. So that was the huge news recently because that was the very first nation states to accept or actually require、uh, Bitcoin to be accepted at、uh, all major businesses, like even small business. I believe there's a process to for them to accept and use Bitcoin as their legal tender. So that's another、um, kind of use case、uh, you can argue, right? So if if a nation state has opting、uh, into Bitcoin.、Um, You know that's kind of huge for for the point, but I just I do want to go back quickly to the point about the controversies around Bitcoin.、Um, maybe that could be a nice segue into the next topic.、Uh, I think another kind of elef- big elephant in the room we can ignore is the environmental impact of Bitcoin mining.、Um, as we mentioned earlier, since we have these miners、uh, mining Bitcoin every ten minutes. Um, and all of this mining is based on, you know, the usage, heavy usage of electricity. There has been a lot of debate about how much of a environmental impact、uh, Bitcoin mining has. And the way I think about it is,、um, I, I mean, there have been a lot of criticism about, about it, and some people are saying, "Oh, this is, Bitcoin mining is destroying the environment." And some other people, like Bitcoin maximalists or maxis, they say that's total bullshit. You know, that's never going to happen. That's not true. The way I see it is, I think the truth is somewhere in between, like many other things in the world. Like, sure, Bitcoin mining has some some sort of negative impact on the on the environment for sure, but it's not as 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 big as what you know the traditional news media exaggerated to be. So let's let's take let's take a quick step back there, and I, I just want to I just want I do want to touch upon this, but I do want to touch on mining a little bit. So, yeah, like, um, for for like the average person who doesn't really understand what mining is or or what the benefits of mining is, maybe we should just give them a quick kind of you know couple minutes just kind of discussing the mining the the, the concept of mining and why someone would want to do that. Absolutely. So let's let's think about、um, when I think about mining. The, the easiest way to explain that is a a math problem, right? So we have we have this this incentive system where we are trying to reward people who are working to secure the security of the network, and in order to reward them. Uh, we are we have these mining or block rewards. You know, every ten minutes there's a block reward being distributed to the miners. And in this case, miners are not really the real people. Miners are a computer or a、um, sort of machine which solves a math problem. And as as a result of solving that, they get some sort of block reward. 
All right. So, so essentially what it is, and, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, this is a, you know, proper, proper explanation of it, but it's someone running a computer program on their computer on, you know, on, on some computer that they have and they're validating a transaction against the Bitcoin network and they're getting some kind of fee or payment, like, you know, a, a, a small piece, but some mm-hmm. kind of a, some kind of a reward, I guess, or, or, or some kind of a, um, uh, you know, some kind of currency returned back to them for hosting yeah. that consensus on their, on their computer. That's accurate or? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much it. So I think the main thing to, to um, consider here is the, why, why do we need it? Why do we need this? Right. I think the reason is that um, in order to secure this network, we need many different validators or miners or nodes to to go through these transactions to make sure there's no, you know, there's nothing funny going on, funny business going on, and all of the transactions are happening as expected. And as a reward, uh, they get paid uh, for for those transactions. Got it. So, you know, back to the kind of environmental impact. I mean. I've certainly seen it on, you know, the Twitter sphere and the TikTok sphere and all that stuff where you have people that are moving to to Iowa and Idaho and places that have, you know, fairly cheap electricity and they're creating what we would call a farm, right? Mm-hmm. And and these these mining farms are essentially just buildings that have a massive amount of, of computers that are running these this this mining software, right? Um, mm-hmm. that, that's that's kind of returning some kind of um, value back, uh, you know, for, for that investment. And I guess that's where the kind of the carbon uh, environmental impact comes into play, right? Yeah, I think that's, that's what um, the main controversy around Bitcoin um, came up in the first place is that you have these massive, you call them uh, miner farms or mining farms. Um, they're taking a huge chunk, chunk of the electricity in the local area um, not only in the U.S., but like all around the world. Um, I think just fairly recently uh, in May this year, China started cracking down on miners, um, partially because of the electricity um, shortage some areas are facing. And if you think about the, the electricity or the energy structure uh, in, in China versus the U.S. and some other parts of the world, it's not always, not all of them is like solar energy or or um, um you know, water-based energy, right? Most of them are still coal-based, which means it does have a pretty bad, you know, carbon footprint. So I can totally see why that becomes an issue, um, particularly for Bitcoin's long-term sustainability from an environmental standpoint. Um, but yeah, we can certainly talk about solutions or alternatives to that uh, at another time. Well, the, the irony of using coal to mine Bitcoin is not lost on me at all, man. That's, uh, that's absolutely phenomenal. Um, yeah, so I guess, you know, kind of one of the last topics I'd like to talk about today. I mean, we, we talked a lot about Bitcoin. I mean, we're, we're, we're going to, you know, have additional conversations down the line on, on, on some different things. But what are, what are examples of some different types of cryptos? You hear things like tokens out there. Um, you know, there, there are certainly other types of uh, cryptocurrencies that are out there. I mean, if you, if you look like, like a noob, like myself would on Coinbase, you see about a million of them there now, right? (laughs) So like, what are, what are examples of of different kinds? Are there classifications? Like what's the best way to kind of 
bucket them, if you will. So the only other crypto you need to know is Dogecoin. Oh man, I got tons of that. I got tons of that stuff. Is that how you spell it? It's not Doge. It's Doge. It's Doge. Got it. No, I'm just kidding. Doge (laughs) is just a meme coin. Um, But yeah, I think the the most important thing, first thing to know is the different types of crypto or their um, consensus mechanism. We already know Bitcoin uses proof of work as its consensus mechanism. Another very important blockchain that also uses POW is Ethereum, although Ethereum is switching to Proof-of-Stake very soon. The main difference between Proof-of-Work and Proof-of-Stake is that, unlike POW, POS does not incentivize significant amount of energy consumption in order for the transactions to be mined. And we can spend maybe an, an hour or maybe two hours talking about Ethereum, on a later episode, but basically on a high level, uh, think of us as an internet computer where you can do many different things on, on the network. You know, you know, we already know Bitcoin only allows you to do peer to peer transfer. Um, you know, it's like a store of value, right? Whereas Ethereum can be used as money, but it also can be used as a mechanism to interact with within different decentralized apps and also allow things like decentralized finance or NFTs, you know, so many different other use cases uh, compared to Bitcoin. Got it. Got it. Wow. Did you hear that whoosh in the background? That was all that stuff that you said that just went over my head. It was was quite a sound. Okay. So, I mean, I I think this is probably a good place to wrap up for our, you know, kind of of our our first uh, episode here. Um, We have some kind of great ideas down the line um, for some different segments. Um, hopefully bring in some kind of, kind of some different guests uh, and get some, you know, some, some different perspectives on what we're seeing out there in the market. Uh, I'd certainly love to do in the future some like weekly roundups of some of the big news that we're seeing out there. Um, mm-hmm. Once we get through some of these introductory episodes uh, and, you know, hopefully help help folks, you know, better understand the ever changing landscape. Right. Because. There's so much news out there. There's, um, there's, you know, in the technology world, we call it FUD, right? This, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, this fear, this, uncertainty, and doubt. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt that's being thrown out there. There's FOMO. There's a lot of emotional aspect that comes to investing in general, and then you add, you know, the world of cryptocurrency on top of that, which has such asymmetrical uh, knowledge, right? Uh, there are some mm-hmm. folks that know a ton about it, and then there's retail investors like myself who know very little about it and just view it as a security, right? Or as an equity, um, something that, that appreciates in value without actually understanding the use for it. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's like investing in a stock because it's going up, right. Uh, you know, what, what, what will it do long-term, right? Those are the types of things. We're in a bull market. So it's definitely the most exciting part of the whole cycle. Like, you know, Bitcoin cycle runs every four years. And I remember this from the 2017 cycle, um, and I think we're just getting started. So yeah, it's definitely a good, a good time to jump into this, to try to learn as much as you can research, do your own research, obviously. And, um, you know, keep in mind, none of this is, is financial advice. Make sure you do your own research and hopefully we'll enjoy this journey um, together. Yeah, man. Bitcoins and cicadas. You can, uh, set your watch <laughs> to them, right? So, um, with that, uh, we're signing off today. Uh, thank you all for uh, for taking the time and, and listening to us, and uh, you know, look forward to some more information. Thanks a lot, you do. All right. <laughs>